This is the Thin Space Podcast. In this episode, we'll hear from our friends Tom Ashbrook and Bill O'Byrne from Imago Christi in our final installment on the spiritual journey using St. Teresa of Avila as a guide. We'd like to send out a sincere thank you to Tom and Bill. We so appreciate your willingness to talk with us on this podcast and share what you've learned, what you've experienced, and guide us in prayer. If you'd like to learn more about what is going on at Imago Christi, check out their website, imagochristi.org. As Jody, Larry, and I were discussing this episode, Larry said something along the lines of, we've gone from zero to 100 real quick on this podcast in regards to the spiritual journey. As he said this, the image of a deep water dive came to mind. I don't know the intricacies of diving, but I do know that divers can't explore the depths forever. There is a moment in time when they must return to the surface, where they regain their bearings and prepare for another journey. I've heard this put beautifully as our journey of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. We've just gone into the depths with this in our last several episodes, and we're going to come back up for a bit. We're especially excited to do this with our next guest, Maria Kressler, the Executive Director of Ignatius House in Atlanta, Georgia. Stay tuned for that in the coming days. It's also worth noting that this episode is a bit longer than most. There is a lot here, and we don't necessarily recommend listening to all of this in one sitting. When you hear something that speaks to your heart, we encourage you to pause the podcast and sit with that for a while. Also, stay tuned for the end of the episode, where Jody will lead us in a prayer practice. Thank you for listening and sending in your questions. Now to our episode. So Larry and Jody, we are here. This is our second Q&A with Tom and Bill. They've sent over some answers to these questions from our listeners and we've talked outside of this podcast about this idea of why it's important that we discuss what we've been talking about with Bill and Tom. And uh, you have some great insight as to why we're talking about it here on the podcast. Would you mind sharing with us why we, you know, we started out from this light place of, of exploring these practices and we've gotten, and, and particularly in these answers that are upcoming to these really deep places this there's this depth this weight almost why is it important that we know about the depth why is it important that we know about the weight on our journey you know when when we began this um this discussion with bill and tom you know i know what i know our hearts i mean what's even beyond and more important and, uh, than our hearts in this invitation to everyone listening is God's heart for each of us. And, um, but as, you know, as we know now, having listened, um, to this, uh, this, <laughs> this beautiful invitation that St. Teresa has laid out that Bill and Tom have brought to life for us. There, there is this invitation into the depths of God's heart that, um, are endless. And most of us, you know, in our, in our walks with God walks with Jesus are just not aware of what's possible. And in, and as we've said already that in the invitation into the, the more that's possible with God, it brings great hope. You know, even if it's not something that we've experienced with him or walked with him in, it brings hope for what's possible. And so, um, but, but what we, we really want to under, understand is, you know, it's almost like a, seeing a picture in your mind's eye of Jesus putting his, his hand out to each of us and saying, you know, come follow me. And when we, when we begin that transition from the active mansions um, one through three into mansion four, uh, which is the beginning of the infused mansions, it's an invitation into, into uh, what we don't know. 
that only God knows. It's like the invitation to, to Abraham, you know, into a, you know, come, come into a distant land or, and he didn't know where he was going and he had to trust God in ways that, that we don't when we're more in more of the active mansions. Not that we don't need to trust him there, but this is a, this is an invitation into the unknown. And it's an invitation into a depth that um, we'll hear in the answers to these questions today. And, um, and, you know, and we just, the reason that we're, we're um, just desiring for, for us to be able to listen to this is again, to just know what's possible and to begin to know what, what to expect. And you'll even hear Tom and Bill once again say, you know, that it's really important as we move into these, as God invites us into these, these mansions, four, five, six, and um, that, that we don't do it alone. And that we, um, that we have spiritual mentors in our life and directors and a community to do that. And, and so, um, so as you, you know, as you're listening to this, it may be beyond, you know, what God really wants for you right now. And that's totally okay. Um, but we are, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna um, share it with you because it's, uh, it, it could be meaningful in the days and even years ahead. The one thing, Evan and Larry, I would add to that in terms of our heart for the podcast is um, our friend Ken Boa gave us an image once um, regarding our spiritual journeys. And he said, it's like walking up a down escalator. When you stop moving, you don't stay in the same place. You actually move back to the bottom. And that was just profound. And, and I think when you hear Tom and Bill's answers today, they'll talk about some of this, that Teresa thinks most Christians actually touch on Mansion 5, but then they will flee back because um, it's new territory and they're unaware of um, what's happening to them and they'll flee back to more comfortable um, places. And, and we've just seen that over and over and over again. And Tom mentions also regarding mansion four and, and our transition or paradigm shift from three to four, that he believes the reason many of us struggle with that movement is that we haven't as a church done a good job of explaining what that looks like in someone's life or what's possible. So all that being said, our heart through the Thin Space podcast is that you understand from God that there is a roadmap, there is a pathway, there are signposts along the way, and that there's a community of people on this journey with you. And so we encourage you, as some of you have already, to reach out if you're sensing this is where I'm at. I would, I would like to have a spiritual companion. I would like to understand what it looks like to be part of a spiritual community. You know, there's a point and a purpose to all of this, not just to give you more information. It's, it's a beautiful invitation. And we just are creating awareness where maybe it didn't exist before. N.T. Wright, in one of his books, has this metaphor that I think is less irrelevant to the title, and it's just the signpost pointing into the fog. And I kind of got that image as you were you were talking about this roadmap, the, the journey. There's a fogginess element to it, even whenever you can see the signpost pointing in a direction, and you know that's the direction to go. It does feel like entering into a fog. Uh, 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 and I think that's a, a little bit too where the depth comes from in today's conversation and, and, and what we hear from Bill and Tom. You know, one other thing maybe for each of us listening to just keep in mind is that, you know, if, if each of us, if, if our primary heart's focus and even soul's focus is on coming to know him more deeply and that what we want more than anything else as we, as we reflect on and learn about these stages of the mansion, if, if what we want more than anything else is just him and to come to know him, 
th that will guide us. As soon as, as, as soon as we begin to move away from wanting him above all else and trying to figure out and trying to find our way and make our own way through this, uh, we actually can, can get in the way of our growing relationship with him. So just to remember each of us, just as an encouragement to remember that if our heart's desire is just coming to know him more deeply, that will guide us better than perhaps anything else. Larry, if I may add to that or, or, or piggyback on that, it seems as though getting in the way is, is necessary and okay to, it's okay to get in the way. We will actually get in the way. Uh, and, and that seems like just as much a part of the journey as accepting our getting in the way. Uh, and, and kind of letting go. I almost feel like me doing everything I can to not get in the way ends up being the thing that <laughs> is, is, way, is yeah. me getting in the way. Yeah. So there's yeah. just an open-handedness and a letting go and an acceptance that I hear you saying of seek God. Uh, if, if that's what you're seeking, then you're on, you're, you're where you're supposed to be right now. You are where you are. Let things be, uh, let there be. So let's jump into the questions today and hear from Bill and Tom what their responses are to, to these inquiries about our spiritual journey. The first one is, what is the difference between the wall in our relational journey with God and the dark night of the soul? Larry and Jody, do you have any context for this question that you'd like to give listeners before we hear answers from Tom and Bill? I would say this, Evan, I mean, you're going to hear a real depth to the answers of these questions. And, and uh, to a degree, you know, we just, the sense is just, it, we're in such good hands with what Bill and Tom are about to say. But, we, but I would say this, is that just for all of us, just to remember that, you know, as we're moving into Mansion 4, God, the Holy Spirit, and uh, Jesus, they're the ones leading us. Not that they're not leading us in the first three mansions, but, you know, this is, this is a point at which the love of God is such an invitation to our hearts that we begin to let go our need to understand this walk and this relationship um, from the way we had up until that point. And that when all is said and done, as we all listen to this and we gain greater insight, which is really wonderful, is just to remember that he is guiding us and that we're not going to, going to figure this out, but are we willing to let him lead us into, into um, the unknowns of this extraordinary relationship that he has for us for eternity? Are we willing to... to to let him guide our hearts in a, in a truly surrendered way. As you say that, Larry, it reminds me of a word picture we use often when we talk about spiritual journey and the word picture goes like this. It's very simple. It begins with me, then becomes me and God then God and me, and then God. And that movement is quite mysterious or foggy, as you said, Evan, um, but it is the movement and it, the transitions happen um, in a beautiful way. And, and you said something in the last podcast, Larry, but you weren't even aware that you are making the transition. And, and Tom and Bill talk about abiding. They led us through again, that beautiful prayer, uh, abiding prayer with the vine and the branch. And, and we asked Tom in an earlier um, podcast, how do we cooperate? And, and just to remember that beautiful picture of abiding and then that transition of me and God, God and me, 
um, till finally it's just God. And I really can't think of a more beautiful picture than that picture of the vine and the branch. I'll recap the question here and then we'll hear from Bill and Tom. What is the difference between the wall and our relational journey with God and the dark night of the soul? These are two concepts that are completely separate events where two totally different things are going on from God's perspective. But from our perspective, they may feel the same and be easily confused, uh, especially if we're only superficially familiar with the terms. First, the wall has been used recently as a specific term for the period of transition from the active to the infused mansions that I called a paradigm shift in the previous question. It's almost like God's intervention that wakes us up from our addictions, literal or figurative, uh, or wakes us up to our complacency and awakens new desires in our heart and soul. Unfortunately, we can misinterpret the difficulties of our life and identify them with this wall in our journey. But until the fruit of a different infused journey starts to emerge, it is really hard to distinguish a wall from just the hardships and trials of life in a fallen world. When we've come to the end of ourselves and of our conception of God and have hit a dead end. However, we in Imago Christi are hesitant to fix this wall firmly as a stage between mansions three and four for for some people experience this paradigm shift in many positive ways and, and drawing ways that don't feel like a wall. But then later in their transitions, especially into Mansion 5, uh, they may have all the disorienting hallmarks or signs of hitting a wall. So we prefer to refer to this, this transition into the, fused, into the infused mansions as such, as a transition into the infused mansions or as a paradigm shift that is experienced differently by different people. Again, it's helpful to have an experienced spiritual guide and a community to help us discern these things because they're all easier to see in hindsight and in others more reliably than in ourselves. Then the dark night of the soul has become an overused phrase applied to many of life's difficulties where it's just hard to experience God. And that's okay to use the term that way if that's all you mean. But some people hear the term used in uh, spiritual formation circles and then prematurely interpret their experiences as proof that they're in mansion 67, I'm exaggerating on purpose. Again, I could uh, exaggerate if someone says openly they are going through a dark night of the soul or identifies some experiences as a dark night of the soul. It, it probably isn't one in the full classic sense of the term. Most of the time we are experiencing a desolation, a time where we have put up some sort of roadblock to God. But a dark night of the soul is the opposite. It's an act of God which he employs well after that paradigm shift, usually not connected with a life circumstances or a difficulty where we can't hear God, where God seems uh, distant. A dark night of the soul is where God has cut off, as it were, all the ways which we have known and encountered God for his purposes, usually either to strip away some deep-seated issues in the fabric of our hearts that are in the way of further intimacy with him, or he does this to in increase the depth of our trust and the capacity of our hearts for an intimacy with him that we are, as of yet, simply not ready for. And now we'll hear from Tom and his response to the question. First of all, I've said the concept of the wall probably comes from the critical book, The Critical Journey, Stages of Faith, 
by Hagberg and Grulich. Uh, and it's about, uh, you know, getting stuck between the third and fourth. And probably um, their experience in their, their counseling of meeting a lot of people that got fed up with it. Just is this all there is to the Christian life? Just working hard and doing more and working harder and doing more yet. Um, uh, Teresa of Avila doesn't talk about a wall. Um, while there are people that experience that frustration and there's sort of frustrations at themselves and at God, uh, isn't there anything more? Um, and uh, can get discouraged. Uh, I think that's uh, the wall isn't part of God's plan for our spiritual journey, in my opinion, uh, or in Teresa's or John of the Cross. Uh, it happens because we don't teach about the fourth mansion. Uh, if people knew, you know, God is in this um, work we're doing for him and he's calling us from slave or servant to friend, uh, we could begin to embrace that reality rather than get frustrated and fed up and feel like we've hit a wall and we're stuck. Uh, so a lot of people talk about the wall, they relate to it, but I think it's because we've done a poor job of describing uh, the process of spiritual growth and discipleship. Secondly, uh, the transition between uh, the third and fourth mansion, which would be uh, uh, their wall, um, is again three, four. It's just the beginning of the passive mansions. The dark nights uh, happen much, much later. And uh, in the fifth and sixth, uh, maybe into in the seventh mansion. So they're very different seasons, very different times. Uh, in our life. Uh, if we hit a wall, it's not because God causes it. Uh, it it's because uh, we in the church haven't done a good job of helping people. Uh, as we said earlier in the fourth mansion, Jesus is wooing us all along. And if we're attentive and know that's happening, uh, there's no reason that people need to hit a wall at all. The next question has a couple questions within it, uh, but it's ultimately one question that we're asking. Is, could you please talk about the dark nights of the senses and the spirit? At what points are they more likely to happen? Can they only be received as opposed to sought out? And how does one know whether one has experienced a dark night? Why are these important for personal growth and for growth in our intimacy with God? Again, Larry and Jody, do you guys have any context for this question? What I heard in Tom and Bill's explanation of the dark night of the senses and the spirit, and just dark night in general is to understand them as concepts that will be helpful if we experience these things, but don't necessarily assume you're going to experience these things. And I think that's, that's what I hear a lot in Christian community when people are on these journeys, like, oh, have I experienced a dark night? When is it coming? And, and I, I just was, was encouraged in that if it comes, um, it's God initiated and it's for a purpose and I'll understand that. And if it doesn't come, it's like I giggled when Tom said, who would seek these things out? You know, right. who would seek out a dark night? Right. So it, I just, I was encouraged by it in that I don't have to worry about it. Let's hear from Tom and Bill. So the fourth question then had to do about the dark night of the senses and dark night of the spirits. When they're likely to happen, can they be, can they only be received as opposed to sought out? And how do we know we've experienced one? So there's a lot of great questions about the dark night. I might just describe real quickly what the two are, and then we can address the other questions. The dark night of the senses is uh, 
where God appears to remove himself or uh, our ability to spot him uh, with our senses. Uh, we're, and so by our senses, we're talking about sight, sound, touch, thoughts, all the ways we have of dealing with and becoming aware of the world around us. And two things happen there in the senses. One is we don't sense God's presence, even though we may see him working. He's just as active in ministry and in life as he's ever been. But in terms of our prayer times, our feelings don't discern him. Our, our insights where we get light doesn't happen. Uh, it just seems like uh, all the ways that we've discerned his presence um, are gone. Another thing happens in the dark night of the senses is we become very aware of our sensual selves. So as God shines his light of love upon us, we, as we're deepening in this dark night, and again, this is the very fifth, sixth, seventh mansion uh, up in this range, we begin to see ourselves for the sinners we are, for our brokenness, for our disabilities, our woundedness. Uh, in ways that we've never seen before. And so that can become also a dark night. We become, oh, well, I've always known I was a sinner, but I had no idea. I had no idea that every every uh, motivation is, is mixed. There's selfishness mixed in everything uh, I do. And there's no, there's no purity in me at all. And compared to this new, insight, a new awareness of God, I realize I'm so far from purity that, uh, as Jesus said, only God is good. And we begin to realize that's true. So that can become, an, so not only isn't God, quote, showing up in the ways that he has for years, uh, we're beginning to see that the, what a mess we really are. And that's a darkness, a difficulty uh, we don't want to see that. We're humiliated. We're, uh, we're disappointed in ourselves. And we know God forgives us, but uh, we don't like being that way. Again, in, in the dark night of the senses, we, we learn to trust God. Uh, we learn humility. We mature to the point that it's not so easy to judge others as being worse than ourselves. Uh, so our compassion increases, our humility increases, and our longing for the Lord uh, increases. Uh, but now we're going to learn to sense him in the spirit rather than in the senses as much. While some of those manifestations of how we felt a warm glow within us, for example, or uh, an insight uh, during prayer or ministry life, those things uh, will return, but uh, we've learned now to to trust him, to know him at a spiritual level, which transcends those things. You know, the 23rd Psalm, uh, though I walk through the shout, valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil. Well, it's not because I'm seeing uh, angels all around me protecting me. It's because I've learned uh, to trust God at a spiritual level and uh, discern his protection there. The dark night of the spirit then uh, is brought on by God where we're not able to even discern him at a spiritual level. It's again, this sense or feeling or that he's, he's gone. He's just, he's not showing up in prayer. He's, we just don't even discern him at, at the level of the spirit. Again, it's, we still believe, we have faith, we know he's present, we know he's within us, but we're not able to discern that even spiritually in the ways we have been uh, maybe for many years. And so again, God is teaching us in the senses not to work, walk by sight, but by faith. And then the dark night of the spirit to simply trust him and learn to walk blind. And again, um, it's, it's like uh, uh, our, our loved one, our spouse, our children, 
are apparently taken away from us. And uh, we know they're alive and okay, but we, we're not able to spend time with them. We're not able to be, be aware of their presence. And so it, it, it's a very, both of these are very painful times. And we love the Lord. We, uh, we, we want uh, the deepest intimacy possible. And yet uh, we don't sense that intimacy is there. But we have to believe that it's there. I mean, again, it's on faith that we know the Lord isn't. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so it's either true or it isn't. And whether we feel it or sense it, um, are we going to believe it? And so, again, both dark nights uh, um, uh, deepen our walk. Again, these dark nights happen. Uh, they're brought on by the Lord, not by us, um, in times of real spiritual growth. Um, and contrary to a lot of teaching, according to John of the Cross, who dark nights, his term, he defined it, right? Uh, they're not associated with difficult events that happen to us. And again, uh, uh, but Gerald May, for example, who's a psychologist, uh, went through a terrible dark time, I think it was in the loss of his son. And he teaches that these terrible events that can happen with us, death of a spouse, the onset of a, a disease, um, uh, pain and suffering um, are part of dark nights. Uh, but I, again, uh, John of the Cross simply teaches that that's not true, that these are boot camp uh, type experiences, dark nights or boot camp experiences uh, that God's not going to bring on when terrible things are going on. I mean, you don't take a Marine to, to push that analogy who's uh, got a broken leg and throw him into Navy SEALs uh, training. Uh, God doesn't withdraw himself when things, he invites us to come to him when in difficulties and to receive his peace and strength. But we do that certainly have times where we feel dark. We feel life feels dark uh, when bad things happen to us and God just doesn't take the bad things away or give us the explanation we're demanding or so Job, for example, and all what he would be doing was uh, certainly a time of desolation, uh, agony and pain. And, and God ultimately didn't give him the answers. Where were you, little man, when I created the, the universe, right? And, and Job repents of that. So these are times, they're difficult, they're painful spiritually, but they're not tied to difficult events that happen in our life. It, it says, can, can, can they be, only be received as, as opposed to being sought out? I think as most of us read about the dark nights, we'd say, well, who in the world in their right mind would seek that out? And I think that's true. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a terrible, painful experience. And yes, we grow from it. Yes, we learn. We learn to walk by faith. We learn to trust God. We learn to sense his leading uh, blindly. But it's a painful time, and part of that that pain is the fear that it'll never be over, that the rest of my life will be like this. The enemy taunts us and harasses us in it, trying to convince us we deserved it. We've been doing something terribly wrong that's caused God to withdraw from us and break his promises, right? So it's not something that any of us could seek out or bring upon ourselves. So the, it's, a, it's a profound time. Again, Teresa says uh, that her experience in Christians is that uh, she believes that most serious Christians taste the fifth mansion. But because it's such foreign country, uh, foreign territory, that they, and because of the lack of mentors to help them navigate it, uh, they flee back to the third and fourth mansion areas and stay where it's more comfortable. So we would have to say that probably most Christians that we know don't experience the dark nights. They can also come in tastes, bits and pieces. So 
John of the Cross teaches that we can we might have a dark a week of dark night or a month of dark night here and there, but the real dark nights come often in extended periods of time, maybe years. So I think we have to be careful about misinterpreting dark nights. And the reason is, so how do we know that we've been through a dark night uh, is, well, one, where are we in the journey in particular? If we're early on in the fourth, third, fourth, uh, early fifth mansions, probably not. Uh, uh, second of all is what's going on uh, related to bad events in our life that where God's just not doing what we're wanting. If that's the case, it's probably not a dark night. And if what we're experiencing is desolation, then uh, that doesn't come from God. The dark nights come from God. And uh, so, you know, scripture teaches that all good and perfect gifts come from the Lord. Uh, and uh, if it's a desolation thing, so for example, I lose my job and I'm angry at God about that. And he just doesn't bring me another God, uh, job the way I'm demanding it. And he's putting, you know, I'm going through difficult times and uh, there isn't enough money. And I'm mad about that. And so uh, in my sulk, I'm not aware of God's encouragement. Uh, that's a desolation thing. And I need to repent of that and seek the Lord and trust him and thank him. Uh, in the midst of difficult times. So again, interpreting when that happens is important. Again, I have to say I'm a little hesitant to answer this question as many people get prematurely obsessed with understanding these dark nights and presumptuously trying to figure it out on their own rather than simply following the promptings of God's love today and in time and in community, these terms may or will help prove to be helpful to make sense of your experience along the way. I remember when I was in that place of personally being a little bit afraid of what a dark night might mean in my journey. Um, and when I was trying to figure that out, and the, the Lord led me in a very specific and unique and tender way to to get a glimpse of, of what that might be like. Um, literally, I was in the midst of this study um, with Tom and on the news on the computer one day, this little article sh sh just happened to, I just happened to see that there was somewhere in the world, there was a lunar eclipse, a total lunar eclipse going on. And immediately I knew that somehow this was going to have uh, a spiritual application to the subject at hand of dark nights in the soul. And uh, so I watched this time elapsed clip of the moon the, moving into the shadow of the earth, you know, getting more and more enveloped in the darkness and felt just that sense of almost you know drowning in the darkness and you know the last little bit of the moon was lit by the sun and the rest of it was just seemed to be in this total darkness and in the very next moment where you know it seems like it's all just going to be swallowed in darkness you could see the full moon in this uh, delicate red glow and I just gasped. You see, it's only in submitting to that supposed darkness, in contrast to the light, it was all darkness, and in contrast to the bright light of the sun, visible on any point of the moon, the rest of it seemed to be absolute pitch black darkness. But it wasn't. But it wasn't until entering into that supposed darkness that 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 gentle, tender red light uh, that I later learned is the Earth's gravity pulling the red beams of the light spectrum into the shadow. The, that, and it seemed like God was showing through his creation that, that 
that in submitting to this darkness, there is something that God can only show you there of his light, of his glory. Um, and there's more to that illustration than that, but I'll lead you to discover that uh, yourselves. God's work on this level, on this level of mansion of the mansions, is so counterintuitive that even as mature believers, uh, we not only tend to miss it, but misinterpret it or interpret it to be the opposite of what God's purposes are. Again, highlighting the need for uh, spiritual guides and spiritual community on all levels. The, the dark nights can indeed only be received. But uh, the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude can be engaged in a way that makes ourselves more ready for the dark nights and more disposed to receive what God has for us in them. The, the why question, why is, are these dark nights important for spiritual growth and uh, growing in intimacy with God? Uh, that really is the heart of the question. Um, if our suppositions about who God is, how he can talk to us, how he transforms us, how he is allowed to work with us. If our suppositions and limitations on God are never challenged, we will never transcend them. If our God remains the safe God of blessing our eternal, our earthly life and efforts, then that will be the extent of knowing intimacy with God. But God is always initiating relationship with us and always stoops to our level and our language to invite us deeper into himself. He is more than willing to meet us where we are, as the incarnation proves. But at some point in the infused mansions, his invitation goes beyond him meeting us on our level in the terms of our needs and categories, and he invites us to meet him on his level to begin to relate to him on his terms, to become more and more comfortable with the transcendent categories of his being. And at first, as mortals, and perhaps for a long time, we experience this invitation as darkness. We are generally not capable of approaching the God who lives in unapproachable light. But in God's way and time, he is all about bringing us into a union with him that we presently cannot begin to conceive. But becoming comfortable and familiar with the unknowing, the process of unknowing in those dark nights, is one of the most critical steps of entering it. as far as possible in this life before indeed he brings us into his realm. And now our third question that we have for, for Tom and Bill. And again, they've so graciously taken the time to send us their answers, their responses to these. In the sixth and seventh mansions, when we are in a Song of Solomon-type relationship with God, what does the fruit of that life look like? And does the personality or self-expression of that person change? For example, does this person become much quieter, slow to speak, less anxious, more transcendent? Jody, do you have any thoughts on this question? Yeah, I think I think the, the thing that struck me was the same thing that struck you, Evan, that you know, there's obviously a deepening of the spiritual gifts, you know, that there's a deepening of love for God, for ourselves, for God and for others, I think, but, that, but then, then there's also this deepening love for ourselves and who we are authentically in Christ. And, and I think the way Tom put it is we just become more of who we are. It's not that we, I, I think, one of the words in the question is transcended. We don't transcend um, being ourselves, but we become the truest version of ourselves, which is 
the closest version of ourselves to Christ. That was profound for me. That I don't have to become a different person. I'm just becoming a better version of who God created me to be. I had written down a quote from Tom's answer to that, to this question. And, and this is the quote, our identity becomes that of the beloved in mansion seven, not perfect, but we know the truth of who we are. I had the opportunity of spending time at the Ignatius house this, this past week on Ash Wednesday. And one of the questions that a lot of my time spent in silence and prayer was focused on or, or that continued to be brought to my awareness, to my attention was who am I really? And there is, it kind of got broken down into two parts is who does the world say that I am and who does God say that I am? Hmm. And it sounds like from what you just said, Jody, and, and from the responses from Tom and Bill, it's really that second question that we begin to have a better understanding of. We necessarily learn who the world tells us we are for, for much of our lives. And then at some point, we seem to become less concerned with that answer and more focused on who God says we are and begin living into that identity instead of the other identity. And now we'll hear from Bill and Tom, their responses to this question. I'll recap the question again real quick, and then uh, we'll hear from them. In the sixth and seventh mansions, when we are in a Song of Solomon-type relationship with God, what does the fruit of that life look like? And does the personality or self-expression of that person change? For example, does this person become much quieter, slow to speak, less anxious, or more transcendent? Again, I want to caution you, let's be careful not to focus more on the fruit than on the source, than on abiding in the vine that produces the fruit. Otherwise, we're easily caught in the trap of merely talking about enticing spiritual things rather than putting ourselves at God's disposal in a way that he might lead us into those realities and actually make us capable of experiencing him and responding to him in those ways that then bears that fruit. Many people delving into Mansion 4 mistake their new experiences of worship and visions and the like as Mansion 67 experiences because it is the height and the extent of their own experience and they have no other reference points to compare it to or no measure to make a more humble assessment of their journey. Uh, on the one hand, I like the description given in the question of a quieter of be a person being quieter slow to speak less anxious more transcendent but as soon as you try to act this way you're acting in pride and going after the appearance of spirituality rather than the essence of it that produces that result and part of the spiritual journey is learning to catch ourselves when we're putting ourselves in that trap some or all of those qualities will be evident, but in and through the diverse personalities according to which God has created us. Most people I've heard of or encountered who are in these mansions are still uniquely themselves, and in some ways more individual, more distinct, as what we call their true self emerges. But they are also more aware of their limitations and inadequacies not in a self-conscious or self-denigrating way, but in a natural, winsome, and even humorous way. I'm inclined to say that our, our basic personality does not change, but that it becomes more balanced and, and flexible, while at the same time becoming more genuine and authentic in its self-expression. And that happens more and more to greater degrees as we are infused and transformed by love. But each of us has to discover the authentic source of this transformation for ourselves and how to stay in touch with it 
We need to discover how God affects that transformation uniquely in the contours of our personality and in the contours of our lives and callings. Uh, probably an exploration of the difference between the words humility and humiliation is a good first step along the way. If we go about it backwards and say, I'm going to try to be more humble today, um, you will very quickly find places where your heart will react and resist that exercise in humility because it would feel like humiliation. Then in that case, whatever you have in mind is not humility, at least not yet anyway. And so you need to explore, is it humiliating because you feel it's beneath you in some way? Or because you'd feel like the proverbial doormat? Uh, is it an offense to your hard-earned self-worth? Well, the Lord's going to work and purify all of those. One author talked about the downward mobility of Christ and his followers. Um, I like to compare it to a spiritual limbo dance. How low can you go? Not as a competition, but in pursuit of Christ, motivated by his love. He went to the very depths of incarnation, crucifixion, and hell in some respect for you in love. What could possibly be too low for me to do in order to know Jesus in his, in his humility? People who are in mansions 6 and 7 are free enough in love to live out, in fact, preferring nothing to the love of Christ. They're free enough to bring the love of pre and presence of Christ incarnate in them naturally and unaffected with humility and authority into the least likely places. The fifth question has to do with the sixth and seventh mansions. Uh, what happens to us in there? What's, what's the fruit of that? So I'll say a word about six and seven, and um, then we can talk a little bit about the fruit. Teresa, the sixth mansion, uh, Teresa of Avila, just it compares the betrothal or engagement of a, in the stage of a love affair. And so in the sixth mansion, uh, one author said it's the fifth mansion is, is analogous to Christ in you, the hope of glory, where we come to know him inside uh, in a new way in our own walk. The sixth mansion is more like the scriptural passages uh, in Christ. And so we're coming to grasp the reality of the unseen. It's the season of our life where visions and things like that are more apt to happen to us. And, and uh, we're coming to know the, the Trinity in, in ways that probably are beyond words, uh, uh, which we don't understand. Uh, and our love is increasing for God exponentially. The seventh mansion is, is not far different, but it, she would describe that as union or marriage, spiritual marriage. And it's the deepening experience of actually knowing the Trinity of ex not so much just in visions, but in this oneness that we experience with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our identity changes finally and completely in the seventh mansion as who we are. The Apostle Paul said, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It, our identity becomes that of the beloved. Uh, so we're, we're not a sinner trying to be Christ-like. We're not so on. We, we are the beloved. We're not perfect. Uh, we are still sinners, but we know who we are. And again, like in marriage, love is to deepen uh, profoundly and experientially. So we could say then, well, what's the fruit of this? What might we expect? And it's just a deepening of the fruit which is happening all along. So we could talk about, for example, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, uh, 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, but in a new depth that, that really reflects Jesus. Again, not in perfection because we're not perfect yet, but we could look at the attributes of love described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 because God is love. And as we become in union with God, it is love uh, that, that permeates our lives and our relationship with others. So we could go through that list of the nature of love and it would describe more and more believers in sixth and seventh mansion. And finally, the love that flows through us. Uh, you know, we're commanded by our Lord to, to love one another, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. And so the, the flow of this life-giving connectedness uh, to others increases. Our, our lives become about love. Uh, it's interesting that the only thing that Jesus commanded us really is to love. And so that becomes uh, the nature of, of those who are journeying in these high passive mansions. Finally, I'd say um, another promise of this unity in the Gospel of John is that when you really love one another, ask whatever you want, it'll be done for you. So the believer here is is intuiting the heart and mind of God and is living out the Holy Spirit praying within them in Romans 8. Uh, and so they're praying consistent with what God desires. And so we see their prayers uh, are very fruitful, very powerful. So I think, uh, again, this the fruit of the Spirit, the attributes of love, loving others and um, and the power of prayer would be things that we'd see uh, people uh, living in this in these mansions in terms of personality uh, are quieter slower to speak yes anxious more transcendent I'm not sure what that means but certainly if we're loving another person we become a, a better listener right if we're listening to the Lord, we're less apt to uh, spout off with our own genius and so on. Um, but I think becoming uh, uh, ethereal or something just is uh, not the nature of uh, believers. We don't see it in scripture. Um, uh, these are people full of the fire of God's love, um, reaching out with everything they can to invite people into this relationship with Jesus. And so sixth and seventh mansion believers uh, don't spend all their time on the mountaintop, uh, but um, again, are involved in, in bringing in the kingdom of God, uh, sharing uh, powerfully the love of God for us. And now we will transition, as we do at the end of every Thin Space podcast episode, to a time of prayer. Jody will be leading us in a prayer practice, so I am going to turn it over to her now. Our deepest desire today, through the practice of contemplation, is to wake up to God in all things and to abide with him in his love. The fruit of this practice is in being and not in doing. In becoming more patient with life and in keeping company with Jesus at all times and in all things. Through our practice of contemplation, we recognize that every experience we have offers us more than meets the eye. We open ourselves today to seeing this unseen world. We engage with our spirit and the awareness that God is present in everything. Through our practice of contemplation, our intimacy with God can grow. I'm going to guide you through our practice today. 
Begin by sitting comfortably with both feet on the floor and with your hands in your lap. Breathe in deeply and feel your body relax. And again, breathe in and exhale through your nose. And one more time, breathe in deeply and exhale. Become quiet. Become still. Intentionally place yourself in the presence of Jesus. Use your imagination. Picture yourself leaning on Jesus as John did or sitting at Jesus' feet as Mary did or kneeling before him as others have done. Be with Jesus. Bring your awareness to your hands. Perhaps take a moment and look at them. Turn your palms down and begin to drop your cares, your worries, your agenda, and any expectations you have into Jesus' hands. Let go of all that is heavy or burdensome. Relax. Breathe deeply. When you have given your cares to Jesus, turn your palms face up on your knees. Open your hands to receive God's presence, his words, and his love. Listen. As we finish our practice today, take a spiritual bouquet from your time with God, with Jesus, and with Holy Spirit. Appreciate God's desire and love for you. Love God for his grace and goodness to you. Precious Jesus, we thank you for this place of perfect sanctuary with you. We ask you to steward our burdens in your very loving and capable hands. Protect us as we live and move and have our being in you from the little foxes that rob the vineyard. Our desire is to more and more live from this holy place of abiding in you. Amana. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Thin Space Podcast, and thank you for your questions. 
If you'd like to learn more about Cloudwalk Ministries or Imago Christi, visit our websites, cloudwalk.org and imagochristi.org. Also, we've linked to a few helpful resources in the show notes of this episode. This podcast is made possible because of generous donors. If you would like to support the work of this podcast with a tax-deductible donation, you can do so on our website, cloudwalk.org give. If you are unable to support financially, you can support us in prayer and by leaving a comment and review on Apple Podcasts. Your review goes a long way in helping us reach new people with the love of God. May God be with you.